Well, we are in week four uh, of our series, Relationship Rules. And so if you are uh, new to new life, as my wife said, uh, my name's Peter. And we do have the privilege, it's a great privilege to pastor this church. And if you're here for the first time or visiting, you couldn't have come at a better week as we continue our series uh, on Relationship Rules. Uh, all about relationships and, uh, and just discovering what it is that God has for us in our, in our everyday relationships. Uh, you can't escape them. We all have them. Uh, we all have to do life with others uh, as much as sometimes I'm sure uh, sometimes we'd like to avoid that. We, we really don't get that choice. And, and week one, we discovered that, that we are better together, that life is a group project and that we need others to help us be all that we can uh, be. Uh, week number two, my wife, uh, Kate, spoke about... Uh, I broke two myths, really, and we'll have a chat about those, but about more about becoming the right person and to make sure that, uh, that you are the person the person you're looking for is looking for. And, uh, and then last, last week, we looked at five rules for dating. Uh, thanks so much for coming back again. It was an intense, I felt it was like an intense uh, message, but uh, hopefully it helped you in, in, uh, in your pursuit if you were single. But this, this, single, uh, this series is for, for those, if you're a student, if you're single, uh, those that maybe find themselves single again. Maybe you're married, uh, you hope to be married. Uh, maybe you're married and you almost wish you weren't married. Um, if you're a married person, you understand that tension. And, uh, and we just pray and hope that this series really encourages you in your relationship. Uh, um, as I said, what we've discovered over this series is, is debunking a few myths. And the first one is this, just to refresh us, is the right person myth. And that myth isn't that there's not a right person for you, but the myth is that once you find the right person everything becomes all right. Uh, that, and that, then it doesn't matter how you live between now and then. Once you find the right person, everything will be right. I will magically all of a sudden become the perfect person and we'll live happily ever after. Um, I don't know if you've worked it out, but if you're a married person, you've worked it out that that doesn't happen. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Um, and the second myth is equally uh, as important. It's the promise myth. And, the, and that myth is that, is that a promise replaces the need for preparation. And, uh, and, and, and but what I mean by a promise is that if you have a wedding, if you just make a promise and have a party, if you say I do and we all celebrate that, then somehow, you know, magically that covers the, the responsibility for preparation. But all of us need to prepare for marriage. All of us need to continue to prepare and to be the best versions of ourselves that we could possibly be. And that's why following Jesus is so great. Because following Jesus makes us better and makes us better at life. The invitation with Jesus wasn't just to pray to Him or to make a promise, but it was to follow Him. And Jesus leads us into an incredible life. But one of the things that Jesus leads us into is a life that is about loving others. In fact, Jesus in John 15 verse 12, He says this, He says, This is my command. And so often in church and, uh, and cre even Christianity, it gets misconstrued that all of this is about following all of these rules and regulations, that there's a million things that you can or you should or you shouldn't do. And, and, but Jesus said this, this one command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus in other passages in the Gospels, when he's asked about what's the greatest commandment, he says this, he says, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, mind and strength. And, to, and, this, and he says, the second is like it, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all the law and the prophets, everything that we should or shouldn't do is bundled up in those two commandments that we would honor God with our lives and we would honor one another. 
And then Paul follows up in his letters. Paul was a, uh, was a man who was converted. And then, and then Paul began to write letters to the churches as they were beginning to discover uh, what it meant to follow Jesus, what it meant to apply this principle of, and this command of love. And Paul writes a letter uh, to a church in Corinth. And, and, and you've probably heard this passage that I'm going to share about if you've ever been to a wedding uh, that is remotely uh, Christian or religi- religious. Um, it's a very well-known passage. It's known, known as like the, just the chapter uh, of love. And it's really the fine print of this commandment of love. As Paul begins to unpack what it really means to love, what love really means, and how we outwork it in our lives. And this fine print, it will make you fine. And this is what we need to practice in order to be prepared. We need to practice love. And if you're a parent here and in your home, you know, we need to practice love and we need to create an environment where our children can practice love. And if you're a teenager or a high schooler or you're still living at home, um, you know, that's your environment to practice love. And you might be here and, you, you know, how you speak to your parents is actually a big deal. And you might be thinking, oh, well, it's only my mum, but only your mum turns into one day your, your wife. Not that your mum literally becomes your wife. That's not where we're at. We don't believe that. Uh, that's not our theology in this place. Uh, but if you treat your parents with a certain level of dishonour and familiarity, make no mistake about it, that will flow into, your, into other areas of your lives. And equally, parents, what we allow in our homes... What we permit in our homes in terms of love and honor ultimately creates the, um, creates the, the experience for, the, for our kids to outwork uh, in their everyday life. So mum and dads, we model the fine print at home. The culture of our home is very important. That's where our children learn. Uh, how we as married couples relate to one another models to our children. How we speak about authority, how we speak about our bosses, how we speak about the police when we get pulled over. Uh, you know, all of those types of things actually impact and influence our children on how we relate to people around us. And so Paul unpacks this commandment, and uh, some of this is what I shared last week, and I want to continue on with the rest of, of 1 Corinthians, but I just want to refresh us on what I spoke about last week as Paul unpacked uh, this fine print. And in 1 Corinthians, starting at verse 4, uh, Paul says this, he says, Love is patient. So love the same as what I spoke last week. Love is patient. Love is not pushy. Love is not pushy. God accommodates to our pace. And so we should accommodate to the pace of others. So love is is not pushy, but also love is not passive. Patience isn't passiveness. It moves when it needs to move. And so so in most relationships, and if you're married here, there's usually a pushy one and a patient one. And so you're welcome. I saw a lot of nudges this morning. No doubt the pushy one was the one doing the nudging and the passive one was like, what's the problem? You know, but that's usually the tension in a relationship is there's a pushy one and there's more of a passive one. The idea in marriage is that we begin to influence or in a relationship that we influence one another, uh, that the two become one and we don't expect one to move entirely of one direction, but we find the place of agreement on how we best make decisions, how we best respond to things in life. If it's left to the pushy one, everyone just gets railroaded and bullied and we all just have to, if it's left to the passive one, we never do anything. So so working together and finding that place of agreement so that we can move forward as couples is really, really important. Paul continues on and he says, love is kind. And kindness means loaning someone else your strength rather than reminding them of their weakness. 
And kindness is like a, almost like a culture that's been, you know, thrown away at this stage. And we're so good at critiquing and we, and, you know, we leave Google reviews and we give feedback and we're, we're so good at highlighting weakness and we've forgotten our responsibility in love to celebrate strength. And kindness is a lost art today and we're, we're so good at criticizing and critiquing and tearing down. Yet kindness is about loaning someone else our strength rather than reminding them of their weakness. Again, this is what God has done for us. That God showed us kindness. Even when we deserved judgment, God expresses kindness to us. Paul continues on, he says, love does not envy, love does not boast, it is not proud. And love always allows the other person to shine. Love steps back. And even Jesus said, he said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So love is not envious or jealous. And so we should pay very close attention uh, to our emotions in the light of somebody else's success. When somebody that you know, when they get the promotion that you were hoping for, or somebody else gets a miracle that you were hoping for, someone else you know, appears to get the happily ever after with that man or that woman, or, or gets the car, or get, pay close attention to your own emotions and what goes on in your heart. Because if you find yourself you know, with jealousy, and that's not love. We're called to walk in love, to be able to celebrate others and to be able to really let others shine. Paul goes on to say that love does not dishonor others. Love does not behave disgracefully or indecently. It treats others as if they were more important. And honor is honor also is, is just a culture that has just been thrown aside. And, and honor means to place weight and value and worth on something. And we live in a culture that is so selfish that they're trying to pull, they dishonor. So they're trying to pull from others. And that's where we get language like the culture in our world at the moment around, you know, from OnlyFans to body counts to things that go on with Tinder and the way that relationships go. And it's taking from people. It's taking the honor. And, and the worst thing that's most corrupt about, about the relational climate at the moment is that people take people's honor in, in order to bring honor to themselves and make themselves, but they actually are dishonoring themselves as well. And we need to be careful in our homes, the way we speak about people, as I shared before, when we, when we talk about uh, you know, people of authority in our homes, when we talk about our boss, when we talk about uh, you know, people we work with, husbands and wives, when you, the way you talk about each other is very, very important. We have a thing in our house, when our te- and I know some of the school teachers to the Christian school, they come to our church, so um, you know, don't take this person. But sometimes when our kids come home and they just disagree a little bit with what, what the teachers have done, you know, we, we really work hard to maintain a culture of honor in our homes. And, uh, and, and for us, it's not a guilty till proven innocent with the teachers. And, and we understand that our kids don't always see the whole picture. But, uh, but I know we know parents and we know teachers who have expressed this, that, that the, a young child will come home and just mention something. And even the parents just jump on and tear down, email the school, call the school and, and this and that. We've got some teachers here. I know you know what's going on here. And rather than setting our kids up to honor and respect, uh, you know, we're, we're tearing them down. It doesn't mean that there's no accountability. But it just means that we honour. If you ever get pulled over by the police, your attitude towards the police will be modelled to your children. And you can either give attitude and set your kids up for how they relate to authority, or you can model honour to your kids. So love does not dishonour. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not selfish. 
It puts the interests and the needs of others first. Now, if we just did this one thing, out of all the things that love that Paul described, we just did this one thing, it would solve most of our relationship problems. Why? Because the problem, because the biggest problem is always that somebody isn't getting what they deserve. And they're the tensions often in relationships is my needs aren't being met and I this and I that and I want. If, if we would be not so self-seeking, it will resolve so many problems. By the way, uh, you know, not being, you know, to just sort of unpack this one a little bit. It's one of the quickest ways to find out if the person that you're looking for is actually somebody you should consider. Um, because if you give and give and give and they take and take and take, uh, you should probably run and run and run, all right? Uh, and so, so for somebody that's self-seeking, if you're giving and you're giving and, you're, and all they're doing is taking and taking and taking, I would run, 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 because that's an indicator that that person is very self-seeking. However, if you choose not to be self-seeking in a relationship and you're giving and, you're, and he or she returns the favor, you may very well have found the person that you're looking for. And Paul continues on in, in Corinthians verse 5 and he says that love is not easily angered. And the word angered in this Greek means to be uh, provoked or to be stirred. And in the past you might have heard some of that terminology or you might have expressed it yourself and it's like, I was so stirred, I wanted to scream. Like, you were so moved on the inside that you were ready to explode. And notice the language here. It says that love, it's not that love isn't angered, but it's not easily angered. Because love doesn't get wound up or ticked off easily. Love can listen. And love absorbs. Love actually absorbs that tension and then responds. And sometimes we have to just sit and take it in and not reflect it or react to it. And we've all seen liquids be absorbed into a sponge or something. And energy also can be absorbed as well. And in a difficult conversation with someone you love, there are times when we need to absorb that tension. So love doesn't react. It responds. Why? Because love puts the other person's story ahead of their own. Everybody's behavior makes sense to, to them. Everyone's behavior. <laughs> It makes perfect sense to us. Have you ever met somebody that's really reactive and then if something similar happens to you, like they're surprised that you're not absolutely losing your mind over what just happened? Like they're like, how are you not losing your, you know, how are you not losing it over this? And it's because their behavior makes perfect sense to them. On the other side, that passive person, they see someone lose their mind. They're like, why are you losing your mind? Just ignore it. Just don't even worry about it. And so all of our behaviors make perfect sense to us. And things around things that might, we might react about or be ticked off about or buttons that we push. And although people might push our buttons, the truth is they're our buttons. And although someone might tick us off, the truth is they are our ticks. And we can't be easily angered. And if we are easily angered, it's actually our issue. And instead of expecting the whole world to change and everybody, if we are reactive and easily angered, that's something that we need to take responsibility for. And we need to practice absorbing. We need to practice understanding and practice listening. Love is not easily angered. Love is not outraged. I don't know if you've noticed the game the world plays, how the world reacts, how the world is outraged. It's how the world responds to injustice and, and it gets outraged and then this is what it does. And it demands, it demands with aggression that somebody else do something about it. 
That's the way the world is, is reacting at the moment. There's an injustice, something going on. People blow up and they protest and they scream and they get their little keyboard warrior comments going and, and everyone's all, but, but no one's accepting. They expect the government should do this and you should do that and somebody else should do this. That's not how love works. Not so with love. Love absorbs and then love responds with responsibility. Love doesn't deflect it onto somebody else. Love absorbs and then love responds with responsibility. Paul continues on here. He says that love keeps no records of wrong. And the keys can join me. I'll be, I'll be done shortly. He says that love keeps no records of wrongs. You know the funny thing about relational record keepers is that they rarely keep track of their own records. <laughs> Have you noticed? Relational record keepers, they rarely keep track of their own records. And if, and if you enjoy catching your spouse or significant other messing up, that's pretty messed up. We need to stop doing that. Because love doesn't keep records of wrongs. In fact, God doesn't keep records of our wrongs. The Bible teaches that as far as the east is from the west, so have our sins been removed from us. That God chooses to remember them no more. And if you've got a if you've got a list on your phone, you know, of your of your spouse or significant other, and yeah, they make some improvements and they grow, and you just scratch one off the list, but the next one bobs to the server. We can't be keeping records of wrong. And like I like I've spoken about accountability, that doesn't mean that we don't hold people accountable. Because keeping records isn't the same as holding people accountable. The attitude is completely different. And if we're not careful in our relationships, you can be exactly right and end up exactly alone. It's often a power play when we hold someone's past over them to put ourselves in an elevated position. But love is not about powering up. Love is about stepping down. And Philippians 2.7 describes this about Jesus. Paul wrote this as well. He said, Jesus made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. And that's why the gospel is so beautiful. And I hear people talk all the time about Christianity and God and, and their whole idea is that God should just reveal Himself in some dominance and authority. You know, why doesn't God just reveal Himself? And, and really what they're saying is like, it's God's responsibility to force Himself on everybody, to just appear in the sky. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. That Jesus chose to, to come humbly and to be born as a baby in a manger. I mean, it's mind-blowing that the creator of the universe to manifest himself in the flesh didn't come with dominance and authority to pull us all into line and to punish. He came as humbly as a baby, was born as a child and then grew up and then submitted himself and surrendered humbly to the death of a cross. And although the world wants to do this power play and tear everyone down and climb this ladder and, and be the hero in everybody's story, Jesus humbled himself so beautifully, even to the death on a cross. So Paul's final description of love, of love is incredible in these, this last verse, verse 6 and 7. 
And he says this, he says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Love keeps bad things out. Don't smuggle bad things into your relationship. Love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love chooses to see and believe the best while choosing to overlook the rest. Love catches people doing the right thing. And love chooses a generous explanation. So Paul's fine print is this. It's to, he says that love is patient. It is kind. It is not jealous. It's not arrogant. It's honoring. It's selfless. It's not easily angered. It's not a scorekeeper. It's protecting. It's trusting. It's hopeful. It's persevering. And parents, can I encourage us in this place and again that our homes are the training ground for our children to practice love. And if you're a teenager, you're living at home, you're a young adult, you're still at home, your home is the best place for you to practice love. For all of us in this place, we have opportunities to practice love in our marriages, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in the supermarkets, that we get the opportunity to exercise this muscle of love. You know, when Isaac was about four years of age, um, I, I don't know where you're at with this word, but I, I don't have a problem using the word crap. Now, I'm really sorry if that offends you, but I'm like, I, like crap's just not a word that I've ever, you know, as an adult. But there's something that when your four-year-old comes in from the sandpit and he's only four and he says, Dad, there's dog crap in the sandpit, that that word's like, I'm like, mm, I'm cool with it, but a four-year-old, not so cool with it. And I realised at that age that, that some of the things that I was okay with, if I was to be really honest, were not okay for a child. <laughs> were not okay for my... And I realised that the language that I used was creating an atmosphere and an environment for my children to also model in their lives. Yeah, I heard a story not that long ago of another couple and they're friends of ours and they're unchurched. And clearly the, the husband, when he gets frustrated in traffic, not that there's a lot of traffic in town, but he, if somebody pulls up, he'd say a really bad word about the traffic, the F word. And he told me a story about how he's driving along and he was like, oh, and he was about to say it. And his two and a half year old daughter in the back seat of the car dropped the bomb. And, he was blind, and, and he, for him, he was just blown away and just underestimated the power of his influence. Now, I'm, I'm talking about words and language, but make no mistake about it, that our actions also speak louder than our words. The kindness that we show people, the honour that we show people, to make sure that we don't underestimate the culture of our, home, of our home. So our children are learning from our example. If we react, they're likely to be reactive. If we hold grudges, they'll hold grudges. If we're rude, they might be rude. If we dishonour, they can, dis, can dishonour. But if we can embrace patience, maybe they'll become patient. If we can be kind, they can learn how to be kind. If we can not be jealous or arrogant, our kids might be secure 
if we can be honoring and selfless and not easily angered and not a scorekeeper. And I know you might be looking at this list and think, man, Pete, who can match up to that? You're describing Jesus. How can I ever do that? And that's why John chapter 15 is such a beautiful passage. Because it's when we abide in the vine that we encounter the love of Jesus. And only by abiding in the love of Jesus can we truly and effectively love the world around us. And so Paul's last little snippet for us to grow up when he describes, and I mentioned this last week, Paul continues on, and nobody shares this at a wedding. They usually stop at verse 10. But Paul says, he says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So Paul is gently basically encouraging all of us that we need to grow up when it comes to love. That we need to put some childish ways behind us. And in childhood, I don't know if you ever noticed with, with all nursery rhymes and Disney movies, is that there's a happily, the happily ever after is when the prince and the princess finally get together. And notice that's when the movie ends. <laughs> but if you've been around life long enough, that's really when things just begin. So are you willing to abandon the assumption that once you meet the right person, that you'll magically become a different person? And are you ready to do the difficult work of becoming the person, the person you're looking for is looking for, or the person who married you was hoping for? And are we willing to grow up and to put selfish and childish ways behind us and to embrace this model and this new kind of love? I want to tell you why. Because you deserve it and the world desperately needs it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we close? Heavenly Father, I thank you in this place for your great love for us. I thank you that the story of Jesus that we celebrate even in our culture of Christmas and Easter, that it's not a fairy tale that's become the world's bestseller. It's the truth about your love towards mankind, of your love toward each and every one of us. And God, I pray that you would help us to have open hearts to your love. That we would draw near to you and understand what it means to remain in you and abide in your love so that we then can love the world around us. So that we can love our husbands and our wives, so that we can love our children, so we can love in the environments and the influence that you've placed in around us, so we can love in our church, we can love in our community, that we would stay close to Jesus, having our eyes fixed on Him, so that we can experience your love and ultimately so that we can fulfill the commandment that you've placed on us to love one another as you have loved us. So God, we ask for your help, we ask for your grace. We ask that you give us the strength to build a culture of love in our homes, to train our children, to teach our children, to model to our workplaces and the world around us, that when the world wants to react and the world wants to be outraged and the world wants to push and the world wants to tear down, that we can represent you in and around our worlds and love the world around us, I pray in Jesus' name.